0: good morning it is fantastic to be with you as i just shared in a different shirt a few minutes ago On Tuesday, it is Giving Tuesday now, and we'd be so honored if you would consider partnering with us. We have been working very hard with a very small team, trying to put in a lot of hours to spread a message of hope during this difficult time. And if you've been blessed by that, we'd love for you to partner with us. We hope that you consider how you can be generous to join in the ministry here as we spread the good news of Jesus around the city of Los Angeles and through the blessing of technology truly around the world. So please consider how you can join us over the next couple days. We'd be honored by your gift. We're continuing our series called The Quarantine Church, where we're thinking about four letters that Paul writes while he is in house arrest, or you might call it quarantine. We've looked together at the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon, and now we're looking together at the book of Ephesians. I hope you've had a chance to read the book of Ephesians this week. Ephesians is a very interesting book. It's written to a city called Ephesus. And what Paul is doing is very interesting because oftentimes as he writes books or letters, he's dealing with a very specific problem or a church that has three problems or things like that as he's trying to talk them through them. But in the book of Ephesians, it's almost like Paul is more reflective. It's a little bit more of a mature writing, just looking at life more in general as Paul sits and thinks, yeah, there's going to be problems at any church that I write to. And any church that will ever exist, because churches are full of people, and people are broken and have issues, so there's going to be problems. So instead of me addressing a specific problem here, let me prepare you for every battle. It's almost impossible to sum up the book of Ephesians in one sermon. There are so many fantastic passages. Thanks to Charlie for that awesome song from Ephesians chapter 4. This morning, I'm going to focus primarily on Ephesians chapter 1, a passage there, then a passage in Ephesians chapter 3, which I think Paul wants us to think about as we consider what it looks like to live from the identity that we have now in Christ. And that's such an important thing, especially as we go through a time of turmoil, as lives are turned up and upside down in so many ways. But all the time, I think we need to recognize what our identity is in Christ and what that truly means For all of us, because we are living in a very unique time, a time where information is just flying at us all the time. And the question that you have to ask yourself, the question that I have to ask myself is, what is it that I'm going to tune into? What is it that I'm going to listen to? Where are the voices that I'm going to allow to speak into my life? What are they? Jesus says very simply, the truth will set you free. How free do you feel right now? Not just during this pandemic, but how free did you feel four months ago? I think we're all struggling to figure out what it is that we allow into our lives because the amount of information is overwhelming. I know as a parent, when our kids have an issue, we will Google the question and say, is this all right if your kid is doing this and you fill it in? And basically two versions come up and say, take your kid to the emergency room now or your kid is fine. Your kid is dying or your kid is fine. And we don't know what to believe. Which one is the fake news? We have information just coming at us all the time. There's 24-hour news networks. It's the news that you don't like and the news that your crazy uncle watches. What is it that you're supposed to believe? Because it's coming at you all the time. It used to be that news was gathered throughout a day and presented at the end of the day in an hour block or in a 30-minute block, or that newspapers would gather news and information and discern and think through what is truly most important, what matters, what happened in this part of the world that will affect us in this part of the world. How are we supposed to react and respond? Sam Higgins, who's a cable news analyst, says this, there's no time for discernment for what should get told and what shouldn't get told. Because there's just a need for us to constantly have this information. There's no moment of pause. Nobody stops and thinks, is this how we should tell it? Should this story get told? And it's not cable news's fault. They're doing this because they have an audience. We want more information. We want it as quickly as possible. There's no space for discernment. There's no moment for a breath to pause and think. I think it's so anti the way of Jesus. When Jesus speaks, his parables are often about planting seeds and watching them grow. Think about how different that is to the way that our world is. Just as fast as possible. We want it right now. Jesus says, go plant Seeds for a while. Think about that process. Water it. Put sunlight on it. Make it grow. Jesus says, you want to worry a little bit less? Go stare at a flower for a while. We are living in a world that is so immediate that I would argue that it is contrary and almost impossible to live in this world as a follower of Jesus. Jesus challenges us to step outside of the immediacy of the moment and to ponder and to wonder. The other thing that I think is difficult about this cycle that is just constantly on, that it's really hard for us to ignore, is that good news takes time to cultivate. If you're just reporting on something as it's happening in the world, oftentimes what you're going to be telling is stories about fear, stories about things that really do cause concern. And I'm not saying there's not legitimate things that cause concern for us throughout the day. Good news takes time to cultivate. It takes planting and watering, watching something grow. Perhaps you're familiar with John Krasinski, the guy from The Office, who's doing the fantastic program on YouTube called Some Good News right now. He puts one out a week. And what he's doing in these Some Good News segments is he's highlighting people who are in difficult circumstances, nurses, high school seniors who've missed their prom. He's going to all these parts of of the country who are struggling in very real ways and enduring hard times, but highlighting how in the midst of that, they are overcoming Some of those stories bring you to tears. It's beautiful and it's powerful how people are coming together to encourage each other. Some people who've had really, really hard hands dealt to them during the season are rising up. And when you see that, you cry a little bit because it's beautiful. That's what good news is. It takes time to cultivate. It's not just what happens in the immediate. It's oftentimes people responding to something that is incredibly difficult or hard. Maybe we as Christ followers need to seriously evaluate where it is that we are getting our identity, where it is that we are getting our sense of worth and value. Paul writes this letter to this church in Ephesus. And you have to know, Ephesus was a wild place to live. It's a port city off the Mediterranean. Historians think that Paul was very strategic in choosing this place because it was a place that would have sent people all over the world. It's a place that many people would have come to interact with goods and services and to interact with new ideas, and they would have gone all over the world. So Paul, I think, was very specific in choosing this place to say, this is a place where I want to have followers of Jesus that will influence the world forever. The thought is that he spent about three years there planting and establishing the church in Ephesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is told to have spent her final three years on earth there. And if you go to that area today, you can find a little home with a gift shop that says it's Mary's home. So it must actually be Mary's home because they have a sign in a gift shop. Ephesus was an important place for the church. And Paul knew that. But that didn't mean that it wasn't without its challenges. It was around 250,000 people, which was very large for a city 2,000 years ago. It had over 20 pagan temples. It was the center of magic in that place. In fact, if you read Acts chapter 18, Paul is disrupting the magic business a little bit, and people get upset because of what it is that he's doing. In the spring, there were over a million people who would come to the temple of Artemis, who was the goddess of fertility. And you can Google, perhaps without kids in the room, exactly how she was worshipped. There was a big keg beer festival that happened there once a year. It was supposed to be the largest beer festival in antiquity. If you think of Ephesus, think Oktoberfest, which makes Paul's charge in Ephesians chapter 4, don't get drunk. And he actually says off wine, so maybe some of the people in Ephesus are like, whew, at least we, we still have our beer. It's a place that was without a moral compass. It was a place that was going to have a lot of problems as a church tries to establish its identity. It's a place I would argue that is somewhat like modern-day Los Angeles, as we think about how to communicate the good news of Jesus in a very complex world and time. So Paul, as he writes to this church, he doesn't address specific problems. He instead says, here is your identity. This is who you are in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, he opens with this. guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Can I get an amen from a couch somewhere on that? That is incredible, isn't it? To this church that is positioned in a very difficult city for the gospel to take a foothold, Paul begins writing to them with this hymn of praise. And if you are reading along in the Greek, which I doubt any of you are, if you are, props to you. I actually had a dream a couple nights ago. It was actually a nightmare where I was in a Hebrew class and not prepared. That's what happens if you're a theology nerd. That's a quarantine nightmare for for one of us. But if you're reading in the Greek and not in the English translation, all of those words, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14, is just one run-on sentence. Paul starts with just a hymn of praise, just going on and on and on. And you kind of are wondering, when is this ever going to end? When, for you, is a moment when you were engaged in passionate praise and worship to God? Perhaps it's a song that brings back a special season in your life. I can't help but think of, uh, as a kid growing up through the youth ministry singing the song, Light the Fire. Are you familiar with that one, Light the Fire in My Soul? Often, ironically, it was around a campfire. We were singing it when the fire was, was already lit. Or then there's Jesus Freak. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus Freak? They'll probably think you like kind of bad rock music, but um, other than that, you're all right. No, That was a good song. I, I, liked, I liked that song back in the day. What is it for you? What makes... Philip's job hard, I've heard, is that people like to sing songs from wherever they were most passionate about their faith. So maybe that was a period in college or a period a little bit later in life. But for all of us, it's different seasons of life. And if you're trying to work in an intergenerational church, it's extremely difficult because everybody wants to sing the songs that they sung when their life was transformed. It's a challenge to communally sing. What is it for you? you go back to, it was a passionate moment in your faith. Paul starts with this hymn of praise and says, this is who our God is. Dwell on this. God lavishes grace on you. God chooses you. He chose you once. He will continue to choose you again. There's a man named St. Augustine of Hippo who is right here. And St. Augustine was someone who had his life transformed by the message of God. He was someone who was living a pretty colorful life previously, and he decided to change his life and turn it over to Jesus. And he released a, a memoir of sorts called Confessions in around 400 And he started it by saying, this is my confessions. No, he didn't actually, he didn't say that. He started with a hymn of praise himself. He said, great are you greatly to be praised. Great is thy power. And arguably his most famous quote, just a few lines later, Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And in this work, he tells some different things about his life. He confesses some stuff from his past. He writes about his transformation, and he tells a very interesting story. Because he had lived a life that was very colorful before he became a Christian, there was a woman who he had encountered who knew him as the old Augustine. And she came up to him and was trying to get his attention. He wasn't giving her the time of day. After a while, she gets a little bit frustrated and basically throws herself into his path and says, Augustine, it is I. And he looks at her and says, I know, but it is not I. Because his identity had been changed. It is not I. And I think at times we wonder, is this news just too good to be true? Sure, people throughout history have had their lives transformed by Christ, but is this news just too good to be true? And some people have walked away from faith, faith just because it seems too simple, too good to be true, that Christ chooses us, that Christ loves us, that Christ has, has died, and that is our identity. That is who we are in Jesus. But often, I wonder about what it is that we are choosing to walk toward. At times, we give ourselves too much credit and think that, oh, we aren't really judgmental anymore. We've passed by all that stuff. Let's be honest. We are called to make hundreds, if not thousands of decisions every single day as we scroll through social media. And we, as a culture, are so quick to label someone as out when we think they've done something that's wrong. There's a lady named Justine Sacco who a few years ago was on her way to South Africa. She was flying from New York to South Africa and had a layover in London. And as she had her layover in London, she tweeted to her 137 followers, I'm headed to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS, just kidding, I'm white. And that is a terrible, awful thought to have, a terrible thing to say, even worse to put it out there in writing. But she tweeted that to her 137 followers, didn't really think it was that big of a deal. She boarded her flight to South Africa. and When she landed, she realized that as she was in the air, she'd become the number one trending topic on Twitter. It was, has Justine landed yet? She had tens of thousands of retweets. Twitter had decided that she should lose her job, which she did. And that she should be publicly shamed, which she was. When she landed there, the family that she was supposed to stay with was so ashamed by the fact that she had done this that they just basically asked her to go immediately back home. And again, that is a terrible thing to say. And perhaps you've never had a thought like that that is that terrible. I know for me, one of the things that I loved about growing up in Los Angeles was that I had friends of all different backgrounds. That's something that I consider still a blessing to this day. But I'll be honest. I've had some bad thoughts before. Maybe I haven't written them down. But I've had some things come across my mind that I wouldn't want everybody to know about. I've done some things that I wouldn't want just blasted Across the internet. We are so quick to cancel people. And I understand she did a terrible thing. But who gets to decide how much is enough? How much shame is enough? Should she lose her job? I mean, she did, but should she have? What does it look like for us in a world like this to believe in the words of Jesus? To believe in what Paul says here, that God has chosen us. That at times, God's going to pick us up and dust us off and say, yeah, I wouldn't do that again. But you can start over because I didn't just choose you once. I'm going to continue to choose you again. God chooses us as his children to be the beloved of God. We can't be canceled. Paul then later in Ephesians chapter 3 writes this amazing prayer. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I want to remind you again, Paul is writing this from house arrest. And he has this glorious vision of how big God is and what that means not only for him, but for everyone that he's writing to. And he says, I hope that you have an understanding of just how much God's love and grace is lavished on you. This is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. And it prepares them to then fight every battle because every church is going to have problems. Everyone is going to fall short of living this out perfectly. Paul says, I hope that this is where you return to that this is truly the grounding of your being. There's a New Testament scholar named Michael Gorman who says this, the church or should be, the church is or should be a sign of hope in a fractured world. It can be the bridge between enemies, between the realities of this broken age and those of the coming age of shalom, between the hatred and violence in our own hearts and in the hearts of others. What a great vision. For the church. And again, it's something that we have fallen short of, not only at the Glendale church, but the church in general. But may this message from Paul be what we return to again and again. May this be the message that we tune our hearts into. I'm a millennial. I don't know that millennials would claim me, but I claim them. I was born in December 1982, so I barely sneak in. So sorry, millennials, but I'm like the uncool one that's hanging out at the party a little too old. As a millennial, I've seen some of my friends who have walked away from faith. They grew up in the church, and they've decided that they don't want to be part of it anymore. And some of them have legitimate reasons, some things that have happened to them, and sometimes the church has dramatically let them down. I totally get it. It makes me sad for those who are my friends in that age group, though, and for anyone who's walked away from faith. Is I get it at times that you want to turn away and do something else. But what is it that you're turning toward? You're turning away from a message of of hope and a group of broken people trying to live into this reality that God's love grounds us. I get that at times it's frustrating and hard to live in real community with real people. But what are you turning toward? Anxiety and depression are at rates that we've never seen in the world today. And that was before this pandemic happened. What are we turning toward? Is it really better? We're turning towards social media where we put ourselves out there and hope we get enough comments or likes. Return to group chats where we hope that we'll be funny or well-received. I know that the church has hurt us. The church has hurt me at times. But I hope that ultimately, you turn to a community that is trying to live out the call of Jesus. That you turn to a community that is ultimately grounded in a love that is unimaginable, undescribable, that is so beautiful that Paul can't help but just write the longest run-on sentence in history. Because that's just how good It is. I know for me, it's easy for my value to go up and down based on a text message that I've received that's good news over here and then bad news over here or to receive a criticism or somebody questioning something and to let my mood just go down or, or go up. What is it that's grounding you? What is it that's helping you to really live from the deepest part of who you are? For me, There's times that I need to be reminded who I am in my inmost being and to strive for that. I've had the opportunity over this time, like those of you who are parents, I've had a little bit more time to spend with your kids, usually around 2 p.m. It's my turn to hang out with Carter and Nora. But My job has been more Carter than Nora. Nora's two, Carter's six, and Carter loves playing games right now. It's been actually a huge blessing because Carter is good enough to really challenge me in those games, which has been a lot of fun. I've played a lot of Clue Jr. and Stratego. They're pretty much every day. I have at least one round of those with him. We'll play soccer in the backyard And we've spent some time, he's learned during this time to play some video games. We allow him to do 30 minutes a day. He gets an extra 10 minutes if he's done well in school that day, which he almost always does because that is a fantastic motivator apparently. So we spent a lot of time during this quarantine together, and I'm thankful for it. And at times I haven't been a perfect parent, but one time when we were finishing up, Playing something, we were talking about it, Carter turns to me and he says, Dad, it's almost like we're like brothers with how we're experiencing these times. And I know for me, that was something I needed to hear. And I haven't been a perfect dad, as I said, during quarantine but hearing him say that to me makes me want to be better. It gives me something, once again, to aim for. And it helps me to begin again. What are some words in your life that you've heard, maybe from your kids or maybe from your parents, or a mentor in your life, that have helped you to realize who you are in Christ, that how you aren't perfect, you've made mistakes, we all have, but that your identity is truly in God, that you can't be separated from that love. What's the space that you go to where you're grounded in this reality? Because Paul says there are going to be Battles, no doubt. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6 finishes with these images of someone putting on armor because there's going to be battles. But may we ground ourselves in the love of God to fight these battles again and again. Where is it that you're tuning into? because for the positive comments that we get, it's so easy to just think about the negative. Paul reminds us that you are a son and a daughter of God. That the love of Christ can never be small. That the love of Christ is always immeasurable and that it's high and deep and wide and you'll never fully comprehend or understand it, and that is a beautiful truth. May you ground yourself in the love of God and tune into that reality. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for these words of Paul, which helped to, grind us, to ground us all together as we consider who we are in you. Father, may we once again turn to those spaces where we have found our identity in you, that we are forgiven, that we are loved, that we are received even as we are not perfect. Father, may we understand that we can never outrun or outlive outlive your love, and that it's just completely indescribable. May we find that passion deep in our hearts, Where we once again recognize that you are the Lord of our lives. May we let your love be the space that we return to over and over again, especially during a hard time. Your Son, Jesus Christ's name, amen.